0: Welcome to the Recon Podcast. My guest today is Stefan, the face of the London Leather Social. Today we're going to be talking about the increasing popularity of the fetish social, our drive for king visibility, the perception of elitism on the leather scene, and just how open and inclusive it is. Or is it? Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast. This is actually episode one of the new season three of the podcast. Um, After a month's break, which was definitely much needed, I'm really happy that our first episode is also about a sort of comeback. And the comeback we're going to be talking about today is basically debunking the myth in a way that the leather scene is dying uh, in London. Um, Okay, okay. I can hear the naysayers. Clubs and venues are closing and there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do. Maybe the spaces are closing, but it seems like Kingsters are still finding ways to get together. And whether that's at home hooking up or at a bar or a club somewhere else, they're finding spaces to go. So I can definitely say that I don't think the scene is dying at all. Um, And I think our guest today can definitely tell us a little bit more about why this is happening Um, I'd like to welcome Stefan to the podcast And one reason I can say it's not dying is because you can't see it But he's sitting in front of me in a studio space in our office in full leather gear And not that I want to gossip, but he hasn't been home in about 24 hours I think that's... And the leather smells good still (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't want to go off topic, but tell us how you arrived looking like this today. Who was. Very simply, I took the tube (laughs) and then I took the the bus and then I walked here. um,
1: I had a really nice meet yesterday, so that was really lovely. Oh, very nice. And fun, so. I didn't have time to
0: get home. <laughs> I have to say, it's kind of nice to have uh, brought some flourish into our office today. Yeah. I think the whole building, um, uh, yeah, has a their eyes open today.
1: The whole building has has got a different smell since I came in. Well, if they didn't know <laughs> what we did before, they
0: definitely do now. So that's good. No hiding in that. And it's one of the things we want to talk about, you know, um, you know, uh, walk of shame or walk of pride. and you tell us maybe that's the first question which is this for you walk of shame or walk of pride me shame dear no dear so yeah
1: no so it's always a a walk of pride because especially if you had fun yeah if you didn't have fun maybe yeah that's a shame but um yeah I, I wear my gear every time I can anyway so I I wear it outside I wear it um For leisure, for pleasure, Um, just not at work, or
0: at least not as much. So I still wear boots and things. So you can get away with certain things at work. We won't talk about what you do, but you can get away with certain things when you're at work. Oh, we can talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) He's a teacher. (gasps) Okay, so a lot of people probably may not know that, you know, as I said in the intro, you are today's face of the London Leather Social. And I think it's always very interesting. You know, I've been a number of times, um, thanks to friends who decide that they will not leave me sitting on the couch some Sundays. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows I really love my sofa. Uh, But sometimes it's also nice for me to be able to go out and do something different in gear, not necessarily associated with work. I mean, there's a downside of that. You know, I go somewhere and everybody wants to talk about recon for (laughs) two or three hours and I never really actually get to let go and socialize. But it's nice to be in a different space, to be something that's organized by someone else and to see other people and also to see really friendly spaces. And I think it's one of the things, you know, there was an article out and I think one of the newspapers a while ago talking about, you know, the basically impending death of the leather scene in London. And I would say, if I'm looking at, you know, things we've done this year, and especially with, you know, you guys hosting the Leather Social, I don't think the scene is dying at all. What would you say to someone who says that they think the London leather scene is dying?
1: I totally agree with you. As in, for me, the scene maybe is transforming, um, but definitely not dying. And I think that interview was actually very controversial because the people who were actually interviewed were people who don't necessarily take part on the scene or are not seen as often as other people. Um, so I think it would have maybe a bit. It would have been a bit better if they actually uh, researched a little bit more and maybe asked people who are more experienced in some ways. Um, Personally, I I get it. As you said, you know some some clubs like the Backstreet, and the Hoist, um, close down, um, but also others are opening. Uh, they might not be your usual type of um, um, clubs. There will never be another Backstreet. There will never be another Hoist, but we can start fresh and have something different. Uh, for me, the Lord' cries is a perfect, perfect example of that, and um, I'm already a fan. Um, I've been there a few times. Uh, for me, the important part is actually having um, a sort of community support of these businesses, because it's so easy to complain about not having any place to go. But if we don't go there and actually be physically there, you know, as much as possible. I understand money is not easy for anybody these days, but um, when we support these businesses, then we have spaces to play and places to do things and uh, places to to explore. Um, Yeah, it's it's just a question of, I
0: think, um, the way you perceive the scene. I would have to say that, you know, the... Leather social, I know it's been running for a number of years now, and I will get back to you about the beginning of that. But, you know, going to the last one, I think if people don't know how vibrant it is, they'll probably never understand that there is actually a queue that goes down the stairs and sometimes to the door and outside of Compton, so people waiting to get into the space to get to the leather social. So there also seems to be this kind of hunger, this really good desire for people to actually get out and do something else. I mean, for years and years and years, you know, there's been lots of sex parties and play parties and other things really big and very popular, you know. Um, And I guess, you know, we at Recon, we've contributed to this somehow as well. But the thing that we find out more and more is that, as the scene starts to grow and more people come on, or people shift, they evolve, they change their fetishes and their kings, there seems to be much more of a desire to just actually gear up and come and hang out. And I think. Um, if we look at how the concept of the leather social is now spreading to other cities around the world, it almost seems like, okay, this is catching on really quickly, this idea that we can always find play, but there's something still special about being able to gear up and come out and just hang out without this, you know, this um, animalistic expectation that we must be like sex and shagging every time we get into gear. Um, Can you, because I know... You've been involved with the Leather Social for how long? Um, I've been involved
1: with it since the beginning, so about 10 years ago. Tell us about the beginning. Um, There were literally four or five of us. And the guy who actually created the Leather Social is a guy called Simon uh, Allen. He came up with the idea because he thought that on the scene you couldn't really actually interact on a personal basis with other people there were as you said there were lots of sex parties and um, spaces where you could play but really in general you didn't have the opportunity to discover the other person as a person um, the other reason that he had uh, was that he wanted the leather community to be a bit more visible and to show people that including within the LGBTQ plus community um, that that Leathermen come in different shapes and forms and um, that stereotype that some people had about Leatherman being those, um, that image that the YMCA music video portrays or uh, back in the 80s with the moustache and everything. That's one side of it, but it's not all of it. And there's also some youngsters coming on the scene uh, with their own look and their own outtake on what being a Leatherman means. Um, And just really create a safe space for people to explore so people maybe, maybe some people don't have the gear yet, they're curious and interested, and they can come to the space. And this is one of the reasons why, even to this day, just because you don't have leather does not mean that you can't come to the leather social. You can come with as much as you have, whatever you're comfortable with. Some people change that, and that's totally okay if you don't have the confidence yes to to wear your, your gear out, it's totally fine to change that. So um, that's how it started really, ten years ago already.
0: <laughs> I know. And so now that Simon has he has moved, right? Yes, that's yeah. totally right. Um he I had a job opportunity
1: in Berlin, so he decided to move there. He's a one of the creative types, so um And he does, um, he still does to this day, the promotional material for the Leather Social. Um, So all the design stuff are by him. So, Um, and then the other person that worked with me was actually Steve, Um, Steve uh, Courage. Amazing, really friendly guy. Um, Unfortunately, They had to move to Ireland because they have a business, which is Mocky Surgeon. Mm -hmm. And um, it was more viable for them to be there um, than in the UK. And they left
0: you to run it all on your own. Yeah, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I think you mentioned something really interesting there that just made me think, you know, and it's about the types of gear or like the freedom of expression when people come. We had somebody write an article for us uh, a while back, um a young kingster from Canada, Pop Noor Jahan, and he talked about actually, you know, his having his own expression of leather and fetish and his own idea or rather their own idea, their own concept of what constitutes um as a leather uniform, what is a leather man. Who is it that decides? You know that they make these rules. You know over years, I think it has been almost drummed into people that you know the acceptable form of what makes a leather man was this Tom of Finland idea. But now we have, as you say, that people actually take control and they make make their own uh, fashion choices, if you want to call it this, or you know their their fetish choices. They chop and change and move ideas around, and I think it's been quite interesting to see how that's. Uh, how that is changing. But we know that there is still this kind of elitism within the leather scene, especially when it comes to gear. If you're not wearing the right type of leather, um, you know, do you find... I think it's easy for people to say that they feel ostracized or maybe this may be one of the reasons why people may not necessarily come out to things like the social, because they may feel like they don't have the right type of leather gear. Um, what do you think we can do to maybe start to break down this idea of elitism on the leather scene?
1: I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, similarly, there's a similar attitude Um or behavior on the rubber scene as Absolutely. well. So it's about um, some guys prioritize the, the brand rather than the look. And in some cases, I mean, personally, I like the Tom of Finland kind of uniform. So including a tie, and it's, it's a uniform. So, But it doesn't really matter to me where those products came from. A lot of my gear is actually second hand or third hand. And um, if you know me well, you know, I like a bargain. <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do go around um, uh, Camden Town, all the vintage shops and uh, Brick Lane, just around the corner. Um, and any charity shops, to be honest, because I also I find it particularly pleasant to find something that I didn't expect. And uh, it creates excitement, but, um, I think the best way to deal with it is in a way to kind of speak to people around you and say, you know what, you don't have to start with the top of the range gear. You don't. I, I don't think you do. Um, even to this day, I've been on the scene for a very long time. I still don't have the means, the financial means, to actually get a Langley's jacket or, or a Langley's outfit or, or even Wesker boots. Don't get me wrong, if I had the money, I would go and get them today, but it's not the case. But it doesn't mean that I'm less of a leather man than somebody else. Uh, equally, some people might have that gear, that type of gear, and still be very nice people and approachable, and they won't push you out because you don't have the same gear. And that's totally acceptable too. And um, I've met both types of people. So I think it's more about um, keeping in mind that what we do actually influence what we, the people around us. So the way we behave influences the, the way people perceive our community, but also the way we behave amongst uh, each other. So I, being a Leatherman for me, is about the leather. It's about the fit. So you might find some outfits that don't fit you yet, but you can take them to your tailor and then they'll fix that for you. And then it looks like it's um, made to measure. Uh, but again, it doesn't mean that having high quality gear is a bad thing. It's just about choices and your financial ability to actually acquire them. But it doesn't... Define you as a leather
0: man. And I think it doesn't, it also doesn't mean that just because you wear a particular type of brand that you should have an attitude about it towards yeah. somebody else that doesn't wear the brand. You know, you said it just a second ago that, you know, in a way, uh, you know, you're And I think uh, as a whole, this whole concept of, getting the community together to socialize or to do this kind of socializing thing where hopefully we can kind of break down these stereotypes and break down these uh, negative norms, if I would call it that. Um, You know, you now have other cities which are starting to do something very similar. So you're also influencing now other scenes in other cities. Um, What does that mean to you that other people are starting to also have their Leather socials.
1: I think it's a reflection of our community as um, LGBTQ plus communities um, because we're longing for that actual, real, authentic connection. Um, that means actually creating some friendships, um, which cannot be created, but you can create the circumstance to for it to flourish. So. When we go to clubs and dark rooms and playrooms and play events, it would be very strange if you stopped in the middle of uh, meeting someone and, and asking them about their brothers and sisters or <laughs> their favorite <laughs> pet or whatever. Even though, don't get me wrong, these kind of conversations even happen in the backstreet. But <laughs> um, so it was just, I think we're all longing for that collection, um, not just based on sexual interactions. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, leather socials uh, have expanded and other socials, so rubber socials run by Mario. Um, the London Leathermen are also doing uh, gear social, which is also a different approach because basically um, any type of gear is fine. So it includes everybody, Um and I'm totally supportive of that. Um, all these all these socials in London, we liaise with each other, so we talk to each other. Um, we see the need, and it's a lot of people, as you said, come to the leather social, and there's a long queue. So it's giving other, other options to people, and I think it's working really well. So
0: I think one of the things that comes very good out of it, and you know, the thing that we talk about is. Well, is it good or isn't it? And I think, you know, this increased uh, visibility of the fetish man out on the streets of London, Paris, Berlin, Cologne, L.A., San Francisco, wherever you are, you now see more and more of it than you have done previously. And I think we kind of we like to champion our visibility and things like social media have helped with visibility, with kink visibility quite a lot, Um But it's not so usual, you know, in a city like London that we would tend to see, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, guys on the tube walking around or going down Compton Street all dressed in gear. Um, Why do you think visibility or kink or fetish visibility is becoming so much more important now? It's like any, I think, uh, any minority.
1: You want to be able to see people who are into the same things as you that kind of confirms that you're it's okay to be you um i mean it's the same in terms of you know uh, visibility for black people for uh, people of color for asian people any type of um, minorities because then it's difficult to Picture yourself in those positions if you've never seen anybody who looks like you like that. So um, I think in that sense it helps um, seeing guys in the streets wearing their gear. And I know i got a few of different ages, um, different shapes, and that's also important, I think, um, and also different races. So um, in terms of visibility for uh, people of colour on the scene, when I strongly encourage anybody of um, color to come out and come to the socials,
0: see what it feels like. I mean, nothing can be forced on, yeah. onto people. This is definitely something I wanted to talk about because, you know, I remember even the first time coming to the Leather Social, I thought, this might sound really strange, but I thought, oh, my God, it's very white. And I was thinking I could look around the room and I mean, it was packed in the space. But you could count the people of color. I could count them on one hand. There were less than five people. And as a person of color yourself, um, I think most people who probably don't know you won't know, but you're from... Madagascar. Madagascar. And, you know, so, I mean, when you think of something that is this, this strong or this prominent and the face of this this entity is, is a person of color, you would almost expect or other people who don't know might expect, oh, ah, okay, so if, if I go there, there should be more, you know, people representative of what I look like when I walk into the space. And do you feel like there's a a pressure on you or a need for you to, one, be yourself, visible? More visible because you are a person of color, and I think it's also about the need or the pressure to get other people of color to come to the social
1: I think these two points are very relevant because um, as you said, being a person of color myself um, I'm more sensitive to this to to the, the feeling that you get when you come to a particular event and then you don't see as many people like you as you would think. Now, I think it's a very complex um, uh, situation because in some cases, I think um, people like me or people of color do not come for many different reasons. Some of those reasons are related to the fact that they don't feel comfortable in that particular environment because you can't identify with anybody else. But at the same time, in some cases, it could be related to their um, family situations where it's very difficult for them to get out of the house with uh, their gear because, let's say, they live with their parents or um, any other family member. Um, But that's also applicable to other people who are white and they can come to and they can live with um, family. And I've known a, a few younger guys, particularly, who would love to come, but are finding it very difficult to get out of the house with the gear. So, the best way I think to address, is, to, to address this is actually talking to people around you. So I've spoken to, almost by accident actually, to a few friends, uh, some of them are black some of them are Asian and they do I introduced them to the leather social originally they were not even in, into leather that much but they, they came to one event and then came back to the next and then are now regulars <laughs> so I guess in somehow I, I'm a bit like RuPaul
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drag mother Another drug mother. <laughs> well, you have to drag them <laughs> as well. Yeah, dragging them literally. And yeah, get them a free drink or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it helps. It, it, it helps. And especially when you think about um, newbies. And I think people always think of newbies as youngsters. You don't have to be 22 or 23 to be a newbie. You can be a newbie to the scene at 40. You can be a newbie at 50. And I think it's always a bit of a challenge, not also dealing with, you know, you talk about, you know, people who belong to a certain uh, group, you know, you have people of color, and then there are also newbies who might want to be interested in coming to the scene and feel like they can't come, they're not welcome, they're nervous. Um, What is the Leather Social doing to get new blood in, to get newbies in? This sounds very wrong.
1: (laughs) <laughs> we're not vampires, we're good. Some of us, some of us.
0: It's
1: it's really open to anybody, and the way we promote is the way we promote it. We don't have any budget or anything, so it's it's free entry for everyone. So in that sense, that should not um, be a negative thing. It's quite the contrary; it's a positive thing because, I, let's say, you're a student uh, you're already finding it hard to find your own gear. That's okay. You can come in and wear your t-shirt, cotton t-shirt. It's totally fine. Or your jeans. For the first time and see what's what's going on, and you don't have to pay to come in. And um, even drink wise, I mean, there's a small fund, but this you know, I can get one free drink to newbies, and that's totally fine. So that kind of takes away already a lot of pressure um, for newbies to come in. Um, I've also witnessed some um, newbies who came on the scene, maybe six months, a year ago, and who are now totally established um, in the community. And they've joined London Leather Men. They're very active. They're very. Um, they get new ideas about how to create more events for the community, and this includes really young guys in their early twenties which is reassuring for me to see because maybe some people in my generation are not ready to invest as much and they're literally just starting. Um, Just this week, I spoke to a a younger guy who um, thought um, he went to Gran Canaria and noticed that the access to um, STI screening was not as easy as in London. So I said, "What can I do? Uh, How about I can can I do put black in at the leather social, and or can you get me in touch with the put black at the leather social and get something, work out something together to make some money and then help out?" And I was astounded because uh, I thought you literally just got started on the scene and you're already thinking about how can I help, and that's really good. We we really need that.
0: It's good that we always have young people coming in who want to help. Somebody said uh, to me a while ago that they thought that people in my generation, our generation of Kingsters, that we have let the leather bars and the venues down. And it's almost like they blamed us for the reason why bars uh, and clubs closed. Um, What would you say to... That statement. I mean,
1: would, would it be just one generation? I would say the clientele in those bars um, is a range of people. So, whatever your generation is, um, I can personally talk about the backstreet because I'm very close to the staff there, and um, they've been str- they struggled for a few years. Um, prior to the pandemic, but particularly after the pandemic. And having been there regularly, I noticed that they needed the support of the leather community, but also any support. So to support them, all we needed to do was literally just attend. Once in a while. And be there and try and feel the place as much as possible. So we did a few a few events uh, with the so- leather social in conjunction with the Backstreet uh, to kind of get people out and to some to some extent it actually worked. But um, uh, the events that really really helped the Backstreet were uh, the Mastery events and also the Rubber Men of, of London events. And uh, I believe there's the um, Uh, I think it's called Latex or another rubber event. Um, um, Those nights really helped because it attracted people. But even towards the end, the numbers were going down. I was wondering why. Um, Part of it is that the scene has evolved in the sense that people meet in their own place, right? Um, Which is totally fine. It's just a question of Do we really need these spaces where we can play or is it just not necessary anymore? So in my experience, people want these spaces, but those spaces can only be kept open if we go to them. Um, So in some ways, I wish that people went more often and not necessarily because they wanted um, to be sure that they're gonna have sex and action that night, um, it could be a socializing event as well. It doesn't have to be, um, the way I see it, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. Um, especially a place like the Backstreet where you have the bar area, kind of fairly separate from the play area, and then the smoking area, which is very sociable anyway. So I think it's it's sad in some ways. But also I have seen quite a lot of guys who would, go to a lot, uh, a lot of international events, which are fairly costly, but not so much to local events. So the result of that is that I understand the rationale behind it. You know, you wanna meet new people, you wanna socialize with new people, international friends, and it's totally fine. It's just a case of how do you balance it with your local um, clubs
0: and bars, because if we don't use them, we lose them. Yeah. And, and I said this to you the other day that, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to do all the traveling I do to all these other events because of my job. And it's always very interesting to see some other people, I would say, who are following me around. <laughs> and I wonder, like, what do you <laughs> Like, how do you, how, why do I see you at six <laughs> events, you know, in different cities over the course of the year? And that may be the case. And sometimes I think, too, but I rarely see them out at home in London. And when you talk, when people talk about this need to socialize, you know, in some other places we go, in other cities, we see them out in spaces where people go there just to so, you know, just for the social, you know, and I think probably one of the most famous ones or the most popular ones that people know is outside Prinzkenescht in Berlin. You know, this is a place where you have thousands of people go. They can't barely get inside. But this idea of being visible, wearing your gear out on in the streets with other like minded people. And then you're just in the middle of this incredibly intense social atmosphere. Um seems to be something that people even though we know that the sex element of our fetish and our kink life is still quite important but i think the need for the social seems to be increasing more and more and i wondered whether or not this was you know especially post pandemic when people were away they were isolated by themselves and i think i thought like coming to the leather social as well okay this popularity won't last very long everybody will race out because you know, restrictions are down, places are open, people can come out again and socialize. And in one or two months, they will go back to their boring selves or doing whatever they do, and the numbers will go down. But it hasn't. The numbers seem to just keep growing and growing and growing. And why do you think that is? Yeah, it's uh, during the
1: pandemic, even during the pandemic, there were some um, some people I know, including, for example, um, a guy called Bob um, from Kent who... Um, created a social online to keep people going. And uh, there was another couple of guys doing the same thing. And I kept it even after the pandemic, the crisis has sort of disappeared. Um, and the idea behind it was actually to keep isolated people together and keep their mental health going, and which is a valuable thing to do. And I think it's, again, it's back to that, um, need to have a connection. It's a human thing. It's a it's a natural call. We need to feel like we belong as part of the group. And um, in some ways, I think those international events are following the same law or the same natural law in the sense that we want to connect with other people. Um, it's up to us to define what a good connection is, though. So how deep do you want to know somebody or... Um, do you want just acquaintances? Um, what I find sort of funny is when we go to these events, especially even in London, we well, I do see a lot of people from London. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> it feels like a local event. Uh, but then again, when you see your friends from London, you tend to say, oh, hey, hey, and then you just kind of move on because you know that you're going to see them later You'll on. You'll see them at home, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's down to that same needs to connect with other guys
0: need something tight and shiny for a special event want ideas for your next session At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. I think one of the things that when I first started this job, we were just doing parties of the hoist. And then we moved into the old uh, venue where XXL used to be um, in the Arches near London Bridge. And from that early on, someone said, you know, the space is really cool, but there's nowhere where I can just chat with my mates. And it was something I don't think I had ever thought about before. You know, of course then I was still very much a newbie on the scene as well, but I always had this impression that, or well, my earliest impression of what the scene should be was about this hyper-sexualized space. And I don't think I ever thought so much about the social aspect of coming out in gear as well. You know, you want to chat, you stand around the bar, but it seems like people want even more than that. That seems to get more and more popular. Um, One of the things that we constantly hear from people and we got back in a survey as well, post one of our big Fetish Week London events was people talking about the priority we give to spaces where people could actually just talk and hang out and socialize. And if I think about one particular venue we use in West London, which has an incredibly big outdoor space, um, it's always very interesting that we spend all this time setting up what's happening in the venue, inside the space, and doing all the other bits. I mean, the dark room is full. Don't be deceived about that. But the outside is packed with people who just want to hang out and socialize. And there are people who never even go to the dark room. And it's interesting to tell people, ah, you know, to hear from people. I came to the party, I had such a really good time, and I just stayed up, you know, stood outside and hung with my friends and chatted and socialized the whole night. Um, and it's always interesting that this kind of connection almost seems to be something you can't really put a monetary value on because this means something different for so many, you know, different people. Um, but I wonder too, you know, how much of a shift is this going to make when we think about. Not so much just the leather social, but the leather sexual. Because at the end of the day, we this other thing that we have in common with our gear is our sexuality, and I think there's always this expectation or this other set of selves or um, you know things that people do that definitely um, will involve sex in some way, shape, or form. Um, we have the leather social. When are we going to have the leather? sexual. I always say to people who
1: are the leather social, this is the leather social. Anything that happens after this is the leather sexual that's on you <laughs> <laughs> on your own terms. Uh, which is which is true. But um I think it's down to having a balance between the two. Um, and it's down to what you want as an individual. Um, are you just really interested in the sexual part which is totally fine too there's nothing wrong with that um, or are you just looking for more I think the tendencies that people tend to want more than just a shag um, especially when you've been on the scene for a long time and mm-hmm. you, you've you been through the phases, different phases of um, meeting as many people as you can having as much fun as possible uh, then you're thinking wait wait um this is all nice, but I don't know any of these people. I mean, uh, it's easy to ask anybody and say, oh, wait, do you know the name of the person you had fun with yesterday? <laughs> and a lot of times either we say it after you had fun or you never know the names, <laughs> but you remember their recon name, which is it's very um, common, I think. But it's, it's down to what people want. And I think um, the sexual part of it, that's where clubs come in, clubs with a sex license. So um, there are still clubs around. There's um, um, the bunkers, the bunker bar is still there. Um, it's up to people where they want to go. And, but we need to go to those places to be able to keep them. Yeah, well, um, we need to go out to actually keep the spaces alive, to yeah, keep them open. Exactly. Um, and also, I think it's, it's good to have, um, to evolve yourself in, with those clubs and have a dialogue with them. Um, that's what's happening with the Lord Clyde with a group of us from South East London. We go there as a group, and we speak to the manager and say, well, could, um, would you be able to organize a night around us, you know, around fetish or around, um, any kind of fetish. So rubber or leather or, um, impact play. So they already have putting things in place, even though they've literally just opened a few months ago, a couple of months ago or three months ago. So. It's just about creating that, not waiting for things to happen. Anybody on the scene can bring something to the scene. Um, So as much as it's it's less hassle just to wait for things to happen, it's it's also good sometimes once in a while to kind of go, what can I actually do, right? "Can, Can I speak to my friends about this and then go as a group? Because then you're guaranteed not to be bored in the first place because you already have your friends. And anything outside of that is a plus. Um, but just get out there and and go
0: to those places. Yeah. Going to the social is something I usually come away with a very good feeling about. I probably feel better if people force me to talk less about work while I'm there. But <laughs> nevertheless, I have a good time anyway. Because it's always good to see people. And it's It's good because as someone else who was like another face on the scene, sort of, usually I see people and I see them while I'm running, you know, running from one part of a venue to another, and I actually never get to stand and talk. So coming to the Leather Social also gives me that opportunity that I don't normally have when I'm in full work mode. And that's really good. After the the last Leather Social, I was um, visiting my partner in Hamburg and we had dinner with two friends who are also very much on the leather scene there. And I was talking about the Leather Social and, you know, and uh, the friend Ariane said to me, we don't have one here in Hamburg and I don't understand why. And I couldn't understand either, you know, because it also used to be another city that used to have a very thriving fetish scene, much more. There's still very much a scene, but it's a lot less hyped up than it was five, ten years ago. And... He said, you know, I'm going to talk to some people about this and let's see what happens. And he sent a message last week. Hamburg is having its first leather social uh, Sunday, the 27th of September. So just like this, you know, and sometimes just a conversation between friends, it can be enough to, you know, give a bit of a momentum for somebody else to realize there is a need for this, you know, in the city where I live as well. Um, What would you say to... You know, uh, not even necessarily a newbie, but anyone in any city who thinks about starting or creating, um, you know, a leather social. For me, it's, it's it's fairly simple.
1: Just get out there and and do it. There's no, you don't you, you don't you don't need to start with the event with ten thousand people attending. Um, just think of it as this two or three friends of yours they're into the same things go and have a drink in your gear or half your gear or just wearing boots or just wearing gloves I understand that in if you if you don't live in a big city you feel more self-conscious about how people react um, I think with leather we kind of we're a bit um, lucky because people think that you're a biker which is, uh, I mean, I've got funny stories about that. Or a band. But, uh, <laughs> the thing
0: you're a bike or the thing you're a band. You <laughs>
1: or in a rock band, yeah. Um, I do music. I uh, personally do music as well, and I still wear a monkey out. And um, when someone, a stranger, asks me, "So why are you wearing leather trousers?" and let's go on performing, and I was, "Oh, oh, that's okay then." <laughs> People need to kind of explain it, but really, um, like the list. The leather social in London started with four or five people. Um, and then we spoke to our friends about it and they brought their friends and they their friends brought their friends. And and that's how it spread out, um, but really start small. Um, I've There's a perfect example for that. Um, there's a friend called Marios. Uh, he's actually Greek and he started his first um, Athen leather social uh, maybe a year ago, a couple of years ago. And... Um, No success. It was a success. And having maybe six, seven guys in leather, you could see the happiness and meeting some other guys who are into the same things as you. And it creates a sense of belonging. It creates that sense that you're not crazy. You're just part of a bigger group than what you thought. And so just, yeah, start small and just um, have very little expectation of where it's going um, because it will go wherever it wants to go. Um, we didn't have any idea of what we wanted out of the leather social. We just had uh, the original ideas of being more visible and uh, creating a space, a safe space for people to explore leather. But we didn't expect, oh, in ten years' time, it will be attended by 100, over 120
0: people. Um, but it just happened. What? Is the future of the London Leather Social, what can we look forward to next? Um, In the past, we
1: tried a few things that sort of half worked. So one of them was the idea of having um, a secondhand sort of pop-up shop uh, for guys who are looking for secondhand gear or for guys who are also wanting to sell some of their old gear. We all know that we... You know, we change in size (laughs) uh, over the years. Don't (laughs) talk about that. This is exactly the reason why I have different sizes in terms of gear. So I've got a set of gear for when I'm plump. (laughs) A set of gear when I'm kind of in the middle. And a set of gear when I've managed to do the diet. So, um, But, um, yeah, so we kind of... It would it would have been a great opportunity to uh, for people who are starting out and to have access to some gear, and and also for the people who actually were selling. It would it would be a great place because then you know that it's going um, towards some somebody who actually enjoys um, the gear as much as you do. Um, in some ways, <laughs> the reason why we didn't continue is because. Um, we didn't have enough um, people bringing stuff but I think it's something that we can restart and try again make it an event um, the idea behind it for us is to have it in the same place Comptons and create a system to kind of make sure that we have a record of what people brought and which requires a bit of work <laughs> but um, um, and also for us is the next step is to kind of um, create the bridge between the leather social and maybe events that are linked to the leather social. So that would be more like the leather sexual part um, by liaising with um, different um, clubs and maybe organising joint nights there and um, making it a bit of an event. Um, Personally, I'm into uh, Shibari bondage as well. So maybe doing a tutorial related to that or for people are interested in it. Um, or I know if you guys are into impact play, and make it
0: a community, create a community sense. Um, I think there are lots of opportunities there. And it's also just also taking the step or making the next step mm-hmm. to actually talk to people. And if we can get people to collab on these things together more than they have done previously, um, then that's really only a good thing. Um, You know, we talked about a lot today. I think it's very clear that I think the London leather scene or the leather scene in general is definitely not dying. So you naysayers, it's not dying. I can tell you that now. Duh. Um, (laughs) And I think the other important thing that we can take away about, you know, our increasing desire for visibility, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. I think it's a good thing. We always talk about wanting to create these um bridges and to grow our sense of community you know if you think back that we were we are original originally very social very sociable creatures and i think it's just normal for us to want to huddle and clumb together especially when we share this incredible thing in common which is our sexuality the way we like to have sex um and the gear that we like to wear, whether it's leather, rubber or sports gear or skin gear or something else, we all have this thing uh, that's in common, you know, that phrase that um, gets thrown around quite a lot. One we use also is about finding your tribe. And I think at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we have to remember that we are a tribe. Um, and the tribe doesn't only get together to hunt and to have sex, but the tribe also gets together to hang out and socialize and, and have a drink. And you continue to build this sense of community and this sense of camaraderie. Um, and I think we should be definitely celebrating the fact that this concept of fetish socializing or of king socials is starting to spread more and more in other places. What I don't think we should do is Allow it to ignore the spaces that have been friendly and kind to us for so many years previously, um, to the detriment of those spaces. But if anything, we need to find other ways, as you say also, to do events and other things in some of these other spaces so that we continue to visit them, continue to support them. And those spaces will actually also be there to support us and to support the fetish community. You know, people says we're getting short of spaces. Well, if we go to them, they'll be around. And they'll be there to support the events and the other things that we want to do to keep bringing the community together. So I think there is definitely something to be said for the increase in popularity or for actually the rise of the leather social. Um, you know and thank you to um, you know you uh, and Simon and Steve and the other guys for having the courage to come out and be you know public faces. And putting it together, thanks to all the other guys, you know, who pitch up on a regular basis. Because I'm sure you probably have some every Sunday regulars. And then there's also the people like me who dip into it every once in a while. But I love when I go, um, I love that there's a buzz and there's a vibe. um, And I also like that it challenges me to come out of my house in... It's interesting, you know, I'm fine doing it in, in any other city, but my home city, I walk outside and I think, are the neighbors looking through <laughs> the windows? And I like that it challenges me and my idea of what being a visible fetish man of color actually is and what it actually means. Um, and thank you guys for actually, yeah, challenging me. You probably don't even know that you do, but you challenge other people. And I think we're we're challenging other people's, perception and their acceptance of us as kingsters in a city um, that we live in. So cheers to the rise of the Leather Social. <laughs> Any final words before we end? No, just really, um, you're
1: right. The, the scene is not dying. Um, and there's so many individuals um, trying their best to kind of uh, do their own, create their own lane and creating a sense of community. Uh, Clear Fetish is another example of that. I mean, Raf is amazing doing his job, um, uh, sharing his experience and kind of inspiring people without knowing it as well. Um, I had the chance to to speak to him as well, and it's really, really, really helpful. A lot of all these people organizing online socials, um, same thing. It requires a lot of work. None of them are actually paid for it. Um, Nigel at bluff everyone is doing something to create that kind of community and it's up to us individually to go to those places where there are events uh, for sexual uh, gratification (laughs) Uh, or at least uh, places to find some fun and yeah it's up. It's up to us to make it work. What's Um, the
0: date for the next London Leather Social? So
1: the next next Leather uh, Social is actually this Sunday, the 6th, I believe, of November. Uh, It's always the first Sunday of the month. And the London Leatherman Gear Social is the third Sunday of the month, if I'm right. Uh, But you can find information on that online anyway. Uh,
0: But yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And... (laughs) Londoners, if you're around or if you're coming to London, we'll see you this Sunday at Compton's at the London Letter Social. Ciao for now. Bye.